welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Well, we, uh, we're in the middle of a study of the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, so you could turn there. And if you're new with us, uh, one of the things that we do at this church that might be different or what you're not used to is we just take books of the Bible and we walk through them uh, verse by verse. And so I don't have anything special necessarily to say. The, the only thing that I have that's special is the Word of God because it's special revelation from God. And so that's why we just walk verse by verse and in Ephesians, I just want to go looking at almost every single word. Look at what does this mean? First, that's usually the question that we're going to ask is, who's writing? Who's the audience? What does this mean? And then how does it apply to our life? And, why is it, and how does this ultimately point to Jesus Christ, who is the key to interpreting all of Scripture, especially the Old Testament? Christ is at the center of everything. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to walk through Ephesians tonight but uh so you could turn to ephesians chapter one growing up uh, i was always somewhat afraid of heights Uh, i was just really apprehensive i know some some of you in here you're like heights they do not scare me how many people have gone uh skydiving before anyone anyone okay so some of you eva and wow that's great some of the girls i think i know micah's bloomquist has done it i've never done it but i used to be in the rock climbing and there's some definitely uh back in california and there's definitely some heights that I was scared to go, go on or to climb. Even as a little kid, I would always be apprehensive to climb trees. But there's always that one kid that would just shoot up to the very top. You know, every summer camp, there's some kid in a tree, just loves to climb trees. You know that person, uh, just always climbing on things. Uh, Josiah Wren was that. Uh, he's graduated. Um, so, uh, man, always climbing things like, dude, get down. What are you doing? But just no fear of heights. I even like when I watch those videos of like those parkour dudes that like climb with no, nothing. I mean, the a- Alex Honnold video of climbing El Capitan, El Capitan, right? Or no, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With no ropes or anything like that is just absolutely. No- I had anxiety the whole time. Why? I get anxious watching those type of videos, but at the same time, I cannot deny that though there are some heights that I'm afraid to go to that I can't deny that the higher the climb, the more glorious the view. It's probably true. That's why they do it. Um, the more beautiful, the more awe-inspiring, adrenaline-pumping is the view. I love hiking and backpacking. There's something that's innate in man in general. Sam always loves pointing this out, that when we see, when young men see a mountain, they're like, I want to climb that, you know? It just, that's how God made us. And so I loved hiking, backpacking, but and it's not for the faint of heart. And there are some climbs that I know Sam has probably made, maybe even Amy has made, that I would never. I, you know, I'm just too nervous to do. And there's some climbs that I've made later in my life that there's no way I could have done when I was younger. What do I, why am I saying this? Well, in the Bible, there are some sections in the Bible and some doctrines or truths 
that are intellectually steep climbs. Some of which uh, take you through the clouds, and it's kind of hard to navigate and walk through and understand. There's a lot of mystery, and that's okay. We believe that there is some tension and mystery in the scriptures, that the secret things belong to the Lord. And there are things about God and his plan that we do not understand, but it's there in scripture, and by faith we accept them. And, and so there are these heights um, that we come to. And my, as a pastor, my goal is not to shy away or, be, um, or, or to be timid about the word of God, but to take the sheep in the church and to lead them through and to new heights so that you would see the glory of God. That's what I'm always trying to do. I'm trying to push you along to know God and to understand him more, not for the sake of knowledge, but for the sake of worship. At the same time, I know that there's some risk in doing that. There's some confusing things. And so if you do not, if, if you probably know some people that love to take the intellectual climb and you're like, that's not me. That does not make you a lesser Christian. I want to say that up front. There are some people, my professors, that know way more than me. There's no way. And there's a part of me that could be like, do I not know God as passionately as they do? And that's a lie from the devil, right? God has just gifted some people that love to make those climbs intellectually, and that's okay. So before we jump into this text, I just want to say that, that that if you don't understand all the things about God, welcome to the club, all right? Welcome to the club. Our God is awesome. He is far greater than us. And there are things that we just have to go, I am not God. He is awesome. And I love him no matter what, right? And that's what I want to do is I want to bring you along to some new heights. I'm going to try and and I'm going to do it in passion and kindness and hopefully with clarity. And so I'm prefacing this. When you get into your life groups, you may have some deep theological questions about this. Well, guess what? I've already tasked your leaders not to answer any of them because we want to stick to the practical things that I want to draw out in this text. I'm already taking a lot of time in this intro because it's that important. And if you have really deep, confusing texts that you're just like, your soul is anxious about, please do not leave here tonight without telling me. I would love to sit with you. I would love to try to answer some of those things or at least encourage you. And that's the goal of this. This whole entire message is to leave you worshiping more. And so I'm going to read the passage, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to climb together, okay? So Ephesians 1, chapter 3, or sorry, chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. Paul, we'll start in verse 1 actually. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you, And peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us, God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love. God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which with he has blessed us in the beloved. 
Father God, you are mighty. Blessed be your name, Lord. Please help us make this climb into new heights and greater joys and greater praise of your great mysterious will and your sovereign grace to save sinners out of their sin. God, help us to love you more through this. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is writing from prison. He's in prison. And he's writing to the Ephesians church in Ephesus to encourage the saints. And one of the main reasons he's doing this, look in verse chapter 3, Verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, uh, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, that's verse 2, that was given to me for you, of how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. The purpose that Paul is writing is he wants to reveal this mystery that has been hidden for ages. You know what that mystery is? That God is uniting all things in heaven and earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Cosmic reconciliation. Union with Christ. We've talked about that. Look at verse 7 in chapter 1. Verse 7 in chapter 1. Or, uh, sorry. Verse 10 in chapter 1. As a plan, he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and on earth. And so Paul is writing to encourage the church, to encourage believers. And it's so fascinating that when he's writing this, he doesn't start with an update about how he's doing. Hey guys, my health is doing all right. I've been beaten a few times in prison. He doesn't start with any problems that are happening in the church. He doesn't want to address the cultural problems right away. He just goes straight into singing, straight into worship. The word blessed, look at verse 3. Blessed is the word eulogos, eulogy. A eulogy is a praise. You're bringing praise to someone. Usually we say a eulogy at someone's funeral, but it doesn't have to be just at funerals where we're recounting the wonderful works of the person that who's passed, who the person was. And so Paul is starting off. Remember, he's an apostle. So really it's Jesus Christ through Paul starts out praising. He starts singing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we're just going to look at verse 3. And point number 1 is this, that you need to understand. Theology fuels doxology. Okay, I'm going to explain this. Theology fuels doxology. It's a good rhyme. Theology. Anyone can, what is theology? Anyone know? The study of God, right? Biology, bio, study of what? Good job. Right? So theology, theos, is the Greek word for God. It's the study of God. It's knowing God, and it's applying the truths of Scripture about God to everyday life. That is what theology is. It's the reading and learning and and growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, doxology, doxa means glory, But doxology also can be referred to as a hymn or song of praise. So theology fuels worship. That's what that means. Theology fuels worship. Our view of God fuels our praise. And we see this. This is why Paul just starts off singing a song. Like he just right off the bat. It's like, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It just like starts singing right away. Like, dude, chill. 
chill out, Paul. Like, what's going on? He's just filled with the Holy Spirit. And he can't start singing. And look at the words that he uses. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So this idea of blessing is really important. He highlights three things. So my title of the sermon is called Songs of Grace. This is a song of grace. Verse 3 all the way down to 14 form one whole sentence. All right? So in the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at this sentence. And it's a whole song. It's all praise to God. So theology fuels doxology. Blessed be God. And so let's look at the lyrics of Paul's song that he's looking, all right? So first, verse 3 says, blessed be the God. So we see the blessed one, and that is God. And the first thing that we learn here about worship is that true worship is always focused on the triune God of the Bible. It's always praise be to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's always God-centered. True worship is always God-centered. And he starts off with that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's break that down. The God. God is the creator and owner of the whole universe. Praise be to God, but he's also the Father. He's also... in, in God is one being, but three persons. And the Father here is the Father of the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. And so we see Jesus, not only do we see him in his divinity, that he is the Lord, the Kurios, the King of all, the supreme being of all, but he's also the begotten son in his humanity. And Paul just starts off singing and worshiping him. And we see that the true worship is always Trinitarian. And so look at this song, verse four, it says, even as he chose us in him, Paul starts with God the Father and his work in salvation of choosing people to be saved. And then in verse 7, he says, in Christ, we have redemption. He worships Jesus for through his blood, we have forgiveness of sin. And then in verse 13, we see that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's structure of his whole lyrics is all about God and his wonderful work of salvation. Some people think that it's only Jesus who saves. You're one third right. (laughs) It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all the creator. The creator God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The the Savior is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we see that true doxology is always focused on God. It's always God-centered. Blessed be God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see that God is the blesser as well, who has blessed us, right? He has blessed us in Christ Jesus, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we see that God not only is the one that we're praising, but he's also the one that blesses. And so here we have this. We bless God because he's first blessed us. Right? He has blessed us. And how? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And who is it that he's blessing? Circle the word us. Who's us? Verse 1 in chapter 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus. These are believers. These are Christians who are receiving every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These are not earthly blessings. These are not carnal, temporal, earthly blessings. These are all heavenly blessings. Everything spiritual. Every blessing. We looked at this two weeks ago. 
that in Christ Jesus flow all of the blessings of salvation to us. And so we see the blessed one. We see the blesser who is God, the blessed ones, which are saints and believers. What are they blessed with? Every single spiritual blessing. Where's the location? Where are these blessings located? What does it say? In the heavenly places. Got to ask why there? Because that's where Christ is. Remember, when Christians, when, when sinners trust in Jesus Christ, they become in union with Christ. It's kind of like wherever Caitlin goes, I'm in union with Christ. Wherever Caitlin goes, I technically go. We've become one flesh. But in a spiritual sense, if you are in Christ Jesus, where he is is where you are right now. Ephesians 1.20 says that Christ is raised from the dead and he's seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. And then in Ephesians 2, look at Ephesians 2, verse 6 through 7. This is very interesting. It says, by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, verse 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Help me understand this. All of you are sitting here physically right now in front of me. But Paul says that you're seated with Christ in heaven. How is that possible? By faith and your union with Christ. Where Christ is, you are. And so Christ is the source of all of these heavenly blessings. They're all spiritual in him. See, all the blessings that the Israelites received were earthly. You're going to get land. You're going to get blessing, cattle, vineyards, all, all these things, rest from your enemies. But all those things were meant to point to spiritual realities. And if you're in Christ, you have a promised land, the new heavens and new earth. You have rest in Christ Jesus, eternal rest. Right? You have the sacrificial system in Christ Jesus. He is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ is the source of all these blessings. And so Paul just starts off singing. I love that. He is so overwhelmed with the fact that every single spiritual blessing is his in Christ Jesus. And so what's the application here? First, big theology is what makes a singing church. Big God theology is what makes a singing church. Weak theology results in weak worship. Small views of God lead to small worship services. <laughs> And I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about affections. God's people have always been a singing people. And I really want to impress this. What's the biggest book in the Bible? God's hymn book. Find that interesting? That our God is a singing God? And that his people are singing people? Jesus is the author of the Psalms. He is the true and better David. And God wrote a hymn book for his people. And so how is it that many of us can proclaim to be Christians and proclaim to be in union with Christ, proclaim to have every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly places right now, and yet are not a singing people? It does not make sense. Paul is a great example. He is so overwhelmed with the grace of God, with how big God is, that he can't help but singing. And I love what Martin Luther says, not Martin Luther King Jr., the reformer I'm talking about. He says, we can mention only one point, which experience confirms, namely, that next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. No greater commendation than this can be found, at least not by us. After all, the gift of language 
combined with the gift of song, was only given to man to let him know that he should praise God with both word and music, namely by proclaiming the word of God through music. I have no use for cranks who despise music because it is a gift of God. Music drives away the devil and makes people joyful. They forget thereby all wrath, unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Next, after theology, I give them to music the highest place and the greatest honor. Is that true of your life? Are you a singing people? Here's, here's why singing is so important for the Christian. I'm talking not just singing Miley Cyrus, all right? Uh, I'm talking about sp- singing spiritual songs and hymns and psalms. Why is this important? First, application here. Singing is a means of discipleship. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And how do you know someone is filled with the Holy Spirit? They start addressing other people in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And Colossians 3, 16 says that we start teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sing, we sing every night in the stead home before Eden goes to bed, and we will not stop doing that. And whenever the music comes on, you should see her. She starts going like this. She starts getting all excited. It's so natural. It's so natural, and it, it brings joy to my heart, especially when it's the catechism songs, you know, and it's spiritual songs, and we sing to her before we go to bed. And I have a terrible voice, but I do not care. My God is too great to not sing. Second application here is singing is a means of fighting temptation. Did you know this? There have been deep and dark nights of the soul in my life. When I feel like Satan is accusing me and my flesh is accusing me and there's nothing that I can do other than sing the great hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. And it's amazing what happens when that, it's amazing what happens when I start to sing. The devil flees. My flesh flees. And the psalms are filled with examples of this, right? David, enemies are coming around him and he's he's writing songs. He's singing that's why there always used to be marching bands going into war <laughs> to encourage the people to fight on, shout on, pray on. We're gaining ground. I love that song. The lost is found and the dead's alive. Glory, hallelujah. Luther says this, the devil is the originator of sorrowful anxieties and restless troubles. Flee... Uh, uh, The devil flees before the sound of music almost as much as before the word of God. Music is a gift and grace of God, not an invention of men. Thus it drives out the devil and makes people cheerful. And then when you start singing, one forgets all wrath and purity and other devices. Did you know that? Singing is a means of fighting sin and temptation in your life. Another application of singing, why we need it. Singing is a means for lifting up your drooping hearts. And your drooping heads, <laughs> when you're in despair, when you're sad or anxious. Luther says, music is one of the fairest and most glorious gifts of God, to which Satan is a bitter enemy, for it removes from the heart the weight of sorrow and the fascination of evil thoughts. I'll never forget, after 
we miscarried and our daughter or daughter son died. The only thing that would comfort my wife and us is singing songs like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Right? We needed to sing. We needed to declare. And actually the author of that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, he wrote that after four of his children died and his wife died in, in, in a boat accident back in the day. And he wrote it over the very area where they drowned to death. He was saying, Lord, it is well with my soul. It is well. I'm still going to praise you. When you seem like you've lost all hope of salvation, you could sing, when, my, when I fear my faith may fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I can never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Right? Start singing. So theology fuels doxology. And in fact, doxology fuels theology. The more you want to sing about God, the more you want to know God. And this is the main reason. I have to start with this. Because the tone is upbeat. The tone is happy when he gets into these deep truths. And, and the main reason why Paul is starting off this letter with a 200-word sentence or song of grace is to do this, to rouse the hearts of the weary saints to gratitude and to set them all aflame and to fill them, with overflow, uh, fill them even to overflowing with thought of God's grace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, then, what are the glorious blessings of divine, (laughs) what are the glorious divine blessings that Paul is just, what is the theology that is leading him to praise? There's no way that I have enough time to go through this. And so I'm just going to go through the text. I'm going to walk through it. And then we're going to end on worship and humility. So the next point, what is the theology that's leading him to praise? Point number two, grace in the past humbles you in the present. Grace in the past humbles you in the present. Paul, the thing that's getting him singing is the triune God's role in salvation. First starting with the Father's eternal choice to save sinners out of their sin and misery. This is not a controversial doctrine to Paul. He just says it. It's as if he doesn't need to explain it. He just goes right into it. And he's, he's, he's not bashful about it. He just says, this is why I'm praising. Verse four, what does it say? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he, that is God the Father, predestined us, predetermined for us to be adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The reason why Paul is praising God is because of this idea that God has chosen us in eternity past to be saved. He's talking to believers here. And he says this, okay, let's break this down. Even as he chose us, okay? So who is the author of this choosing? Who is the he? Well, it's God. God the Father is choosing, okay? What does this word choose mean? Well, it has three different meanings in the Bible. There's three different types of elections where the word election comes from, okay? 
It's, it's the word eklego is how you say it. It literally means to choose out or to elect. And so there's three different types of election. There's first a national election. So which nation did God choose to dwell in the, in the Bible? Israel, that's right. Deuteronomy 7 verse 8 says, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. So God chose a nation. All right, there's, that's one type of election. Two is called vocational election. So God chooses people for specific roles. Can anyone think of a specific role within the sacrificial system? Priests. Now, who were the designated priests? What, what tribe? The Levites. That's right. So God chose the Levites to be the priests. But then there's a third uh, uh, type of election in Scripture, and that is salvational election. It is God choosing um, to save people. Okay, and that's exactly what we're learning in this text. That's the type of election that God is talking about. We know this from the context. Who is God then choosing? So it's God. He's the author. What is God doing? He's choosing. He's choosing to save us. Now, who's the us? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the saints. He's talking to believers. Now, why would God choose them? Or, or, or what type of people does God choose? Holy people? No. Because it says the purpose, the reason why he chooses people is what? That we would be holy and blameless before him. So, who does God choose? Look at verse two, chapter 2, verse 1. God chooses us. Paul is talking to believers in the text who have already been saved out of their misery. But what were they saved out of? What did God choose them out of? It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires, the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the, like the rest of mankind. So God, seeing the mass and misery of sinful people, all of us, dead in sin, enslaved to sin. He, before the foundation of the world, decided to choose to save sinners. And we see this. When did God choose to do that? It says, okay, so even as he, God, the Father, chooses, elects some, chooses some, in Christ Jesus, before the foundation of the world, in eternity past. And so God's choice is not based on anything in us. He'd made this choice before any of the covenants, before Adam and Eve, before you were born. Knowing all of your sin, all of your misery, knowing all the enslavement to our problems, knowing all of our lustful thoughts, he still set his love upon sinners like you and me. Did you know that Jesus was actually chosen before the foundation of the world too? Jesus is God's elect son. 1 Peter 1.20, he, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And that Acts 22, 2, 23 says that God uh, sent Jesus to die on the cross according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So God's choice of salvation is unconditional. It's not based on anything that we do. In fact, we were nothing but dead sinners that God chose to save out of a mass of misery and sin sinners. 
And for what purpose? Okay, let's keep following down the logic of this text. I'm trying to get that. So verse four, even as God chose us in Christ, when did he do that? Before the foundation of the world. And for what purpose? That we should be holy and blameless. That is pure. That is without sin. Or that is to be sanctified and cleansed from sin before him. That's the purpose to take unholy people, unlovely people, and to make them lovely, to make them holy. But what's the motive? Why would God do this? What does it say? Let's keep going. What's his motive? In, what does it say? In love. Yes, in love. God's choice of sinners. His motive is love. So if you're thinking this is not loving, that's not in agreement with Scripture. It says, in love, what did he do? He, God the Father, predestined us. What's the result of our election? For what? Adoption, that we would be sons and daughters brought into the family and according to the purpose of his will. Not according to our good works, not a good to anything that we've done, but because of God's perfect will and his love to save sinners. No greater love than this, than one who would lay down his life for his friends. That in eternity past, God the Father and the Son said, you know what, I want to save a people. And Jesus said, you know what, God the Father, I'm going to save that people by dying on the cross for them. In eternity past, he came up with that plan. And then in time, 2,000 years ago, Jesus accomplished that great salvation for us. He lovingly laid down his life for us. And the result of this for all who believe in him is that you become no longer children of wrath, but children of God. And the way to become children of God is the free gift of salvation by faith alone. That for God so loved the world that he gave, that he planned before the foundation of the world to give his son as a means to save sinners. That whoever believes, not some, but whoever believes, should not perish, but have eternal life. I believe wholeheartedly that God, that Jesus is dead for sinners, all sinners, and all can come to receive forgiveness freely. There's nothing you have to do. You're like, JT, that does not make sense with God's choice and our responsibility. Guess what? Scripture talks about both of them. And so I just have to go, here they are. I can't make sense of them. I just love God. He loved us. He sent his son. Believe in Jesus Christ. Well, how do I know that I'm, I'm chosen? Do you believe that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again from the dead? Yes, Pastor JT, I believe that. Then you are. You're saved. We, we, we overcomplicate this. Jesus Christ is dead for sinners. And so this is the love of God that somehow in eternity past, and I don't understand it, that Jesus, that God the Father has planned so lovingly to set his love upon broken and wicked sinners like me and you, knowing everything that I've done and he still loves me. And if he's did that in eternity past, I know that my future is secure. I know that whatever comes my way, whatever comes, he has me, he loves me. This is why Paul is praising this isn't a sad doctrine. It's a glorious one, somehow. And so what does this lead to? What is the goal? Why? Why this? What does Paul say? Verse six, 
to the praise of his glorious grace, to keep you singing more, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so I end this. What do we learn from this? What do we take away? Theology leads to doxology. And the doctrine of election leads to humble adoration, humility. You get on your knees and say, God, you are much greater than me. I think I could, if I think that I could come up with a better plan than you can, then Lord, forgive me because you are the one that's in control. You are the one who saves. I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to take you at your word because I love your word and I love you and you love me. God's love is not like our love. See, we love things. We see things that are lovely and then we love them. But God sees things that are unlovely and he makes them lovely. That's the difference. And so Paul here says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So some application from this. This should lead you to humble adoration. Grace in the heart produces praise on your lips. All right? And look at the response. Look at verse 15. How does Paul respond to this? For this reason, in light of all these truths, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks. I do not cease to praise God. Is that true of you? Second, it's just humble acknowledgement that God is king. If you're not a believer here, it is natural for you to think that you are the king of your life. So when you hear things like God is in control of all things, all plans, all history, all salvation, it makes us a little mad. It confronts us until we see, no, I'm not the king of my life. God is. And so I ask you, come humbly, repent of your sin, receive the free gift of salvation. What does Jesus say? He says, come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come freely. He doesn't say come some, come only the the righteous. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Salvation is for all people. Come. And when you come and you knock on that door of salvation, it says above the door, it says knock. Confess the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And when I was in eighth grade, I listened to that by the Holy Spirit and I knocked and God saved me and I walked to that door and then I looked behind the door and it said, chosen before the foundation of the world. Both are true. Free grace of God. And so this should lead to humble adoration, a humble thanksgiving, and then a humble trust. A humble trust. Salvation, Romans ten thirteen. for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is true. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Believe on the Lord. 1 Timothy 2, 4, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is not in conflict with Ephesians 1, 4, or 1 3 through 6. They both go together. God desires all people to be saved. He desires each and every one of you to come and to drink of the well of living water. So come, drink, praise with, praise with Paul. Can you say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus. Come to him by faith. Come to him, confess your sins. A simple prayer, God, I'm a sinner and I need you. And all the heavenly blessings become yours. And this truth about God the Father 
is true of you. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.